Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Later, Kentucky's nursing shortage remains a tough challenge despite efforts to address it. That's coming up later. But first, about half of Kentuckians feel like the pandemic is over as it pertains to their lives. And about a third believe the COVID pandemic is over, period. That's here in Kentucky. Many have gone back to living their lives the way they did before 2020. The CDC has changed its guidance some and relaxed some of the rules. Most Kentucky schools are up opening up normally without masks and with looser requirements. It all comes as most Kentucky counties continue to see a high level of transmission. That poll was done for the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky. It also reveals Kentuckians are still movable in some cases on the vaccine issue. Joining us, Ben Chandler. He runs the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky, a former congressman and former Kentucky Attorney General. Mr. Chandler, welcome. Good to see you as always. Good to be back with you, Bill. Well, uh, should it be concerning or is it to be expected that about half of Kentuckians think that the pandemic is in our rearview mirror? Well, in, in some respects it should be concerning, but it also is to be expected. I think that if you go out in public at all yourself, I think you can come to that viewpoint anecdotally. You know, you see people in the grocery store that most of them don't have their masks on. Some do, but, but most people don't. And it's pretty clear uh, just with your own eyesight that uh, people do feel like it's over. So this poll uh, pretty much confirmed that. And, and it's, it is not at all surprising because people, not only are they tired of it, they do, I think, uh, have a sense that it's not as lethal as it was, and there are reasons for that, uh, much of which has to do with us having had the vaccine, but also the mutations seem to be advantageous, at, at least in terms of, of, of being a little less uh, virulent than, than it had been. Now, it's more contagious, but it's not it doesn't seem to be quite as dangerous, and I think people re are reacting to all of that, but they still still need to be cautious. Well, it, the polls seem to indicate that people have uh, less confidence in the vaccines in some cases because yes. originally it was believed that it would prevent. And, and uh, I think that's exactly why, and, and that's the question that I get is, well, why is that, that people have less confidence? And I think you're exactly right. The fact is that the vaccines were expected to prevent COVID, and they don't do that. You know, if you're vaccinated, you can still contract COVID. The important thing that the vaccines do is they make it less severe. You're less likely to have a real bad case and you're less likely to die. And that's extremely important, you know. I mean, and, and people can, most people can live with that. Plus most of the vulnerable, vulnerable people in our society have gotten vaccinated and that's a very good thing. And it makes people, I think, feel a little bit more secure that, that even if they spread it, they're not going to be a dealer of death, so to speak, because uh, most people, other people are vaccinated too. Did Kentucky have a, a worse challenge because of the underlying health issues that so many folks have? Well, there's no question about that. And if you look at the health numbers, and, and we follow the health numbers very closely, we, just for starters, of course, we lead the nation in cancer, but we smoke more than other people. We have a high rate of obesity. Uh, those are, are both indicators, health indicators, that exacerbate a case of COVID. Uh, you can have uh, worse results if your health is, is less good, which is why we also continue to push for people to move more and eat better 
more nutritious food and, and move around as much as they can, exercise as much as they can. If you're in better health, it can help you deal with this pandemic. Of course, it's good for you across the board, but, right. but it does help protect you against the pandemic. The CDC seems to be uh, acknowledging that uh, this is something we're going to have to live with and, and kind of coming with a more long-term strategy now. They have dropped social distancing, uh, some of the rules of behavior that we were uh, all trying to model uh, for some months at least yeah. until all the division broke out about it all. Well, I think this is good news for everybody. And again, I think the CDC is uh, realizing that we've got a certain reality on the ground. People are not going to, to uh, focus on this like they did before. They're tired. They're ready to live their own lives. But one of the things that I find really interesting is that this follows a pattern that's very similar to the 1918 flu. You know, we have not had a pandemic like this in living memory. Nobody alive remembers any other pandemic. Right. The last big one that we had was 1918. We lost hundreds of thousands of people in that uh, pandemic and millions were killed worldwide. Well, that, as that abated, it abated largely because you had these mutations, just like we're seeing with this particular virus with the flu, you had these mutations, and the flu became a little less virulent uh, as, as it went on. It caused a little bit less harm all the time, fewer people died. Same thing is happening essentially with this one, but it's been speeded up, the process has been speeded up by the vaccines. The parallels are amazing. Aren't they, they? They really, Into the times, even the division that was going on in the country. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, I mean, it really, it, it, it's remarkable that some things just don't change. And, and the parallels really are amazing. And, and you're seeing, I think, just like with the flu, we're going to have a situation here, here where this virus is with us probably on into the future. It'll be endemic and we will continue, like with the flu, We'll have to get shots annually, if not more often, because this thing is going to continue to mutate. And just like with the flu shot, they develop a new one each year to try to take on the particular variant that they're dealing with the prior year. So they're trying to yeah. catch up with the variants, with the mutations. And that process is underway right now, and there is some confusion for people as to whether they need to boost now or wait until they maybe can get that new version. Well, and, and they can boost now, by the way, and still get the new version. So I would advise people to go ahead and boost now. But, but again, we're still doing that with flu. You know, we, we're developing a new vaccine every year sure. with the flu, so you're just seeing essentially a pattern that's following the pattern of the 1918 pandemic. Your polling also seemed to indicate that some who are not vaccinated uh, have some willingness to consider it. About a third of them. About a third of them will consider it, but what they want is, is they want to have an opportunity to talk to their doctors. They want to talk very seriously with their doctors about it and understand if it is right for them. So I think there's still people, uh, clearly, there are still people who are willing to consider it and, and those people feel like they don't have enough information. And I, and I understand that because a lot of the information that people get depending of course on their sources and it's right. hard to know what source to listen to but it's confusing to people it's, and the information that they're getting 
is naturally confusing because they're getting different types of information. Hey, didn't this come at a strange time? I mean, for the country, you know, because of that. Well, right now, trying to figure out who's telling you the truth. Because of the misinformation that we see all across the country. That's exactly right. And you've also got where you used to have media sources, just a handful of media sources. Now you've got innumerable media sources, and you've got no idea really who to trust. And I mean, this station, for instance, advertises that they're a station to trust. Right. I think they are, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it's, it's a problem for anybody who is in the news business to give information to people that people can trust. And then you've got other people in the news business who are not even trying to give people proper information. You know, they're giving people information so they themselves can make more money. The flooding in eastern Kentucky, and that's obvious, we can see that, uh, right? Uh, it, it brings a lot of questions about uh, physical and mental health. We know that the, the death toll is uh, uh, 40 or so. Uh, some health care facilities have been damaged. Uh, this is another major challenge after the tornadoes out in western Kentucky again. Well, uh, you know, first of all, I think people want to point to climate change. We're seeing more and more of these kinds of events, and, and I think that really is a real problem that absolutely needs to be addressed. Uh, that being said, it's tragic, I think, for everybody who knows about eastern Kentucky and is familiar with the region and with the people who live there. Uh, you know, I've, I've been involved with eastern Kentucky my entire life and it's full of just a lot of wonderful people and they have really struggled and they've got so many challenges and this one is, is just another really, really tough challenge and, and they've got some underlying problems that they're dealing with. Their health numbers are worse than most people's health numbers throughout the rest of Kentucky. They've got a much higher smoking rate, a much higher obesity rate, uh, much higher, uh, uh, I mean much lower life expectancy in eastern Kentucky, frankly. And then this hits them and it's just really, really tough. So you can understand why they would also be impacted by mental, a mental health crisis. And uh, it, it shouldn't surprise Which again anybody. was there beforehand. It was there beforehand, and you see it in some of the heavy instances of substance use disorder. Uh, and, and it just, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty rough. So we just have to be serious about that, and we need to have to help people as, as best we can because it's, it's tough. That opioid crisis is still uh, claiming so many lives. Uh, the country and Kentucky have thrown a lot of resources at the challenge. Are we moving the needle? I don't know because uh, what we're doing, uh, and, and I understand why we're doing it, we kind of have to do it, but we're trying to rescue people. You know, we're, we're trying to treat people and help people after the fact, after they've already uh, contracted uh, the, the difficulties that they have. And of course, it's so much harder then and costs so much to try to help people when they're already essentially in extremis. But uh, if we could put some more resources on the front end to try to see what we can do to, to uh, prevent this uh, substance use 
on the again on the front end, I think we'd be a whole lot better off, and we're not doing enough of that. So you know, it comes to starting young, and and one of the uh, programs within your organization it was High Five for Health, a summer campaign to encourage Kentuckians to to do their best to get healthy. Uh, what did that entail, and has it worked? Well, it it, it basically just entails uh, getting kids. You know, school is so important in so many ways getting kids ready for school, ready for the start of school, uh, getting them mentally ready, getting them physically ready, uh, having them essentially get more sleep, eat better, uh, again, exercise more, read a little bit, uh, things like that were all involved in the program so that they could go to school in the right frame of mind when school started and, and with, uh, you know, in, in better shape. We don't know whether it worked or not, but we hope it does. You know, we're, we're trying every little way that we can to encourage people to improve their behaviors so that if they do, of course, they can improve their lives. And that's ultimately what we want. We want healthy people here in Kentucky who, who get the most out of their lives. Do you enjoy this uh, targeted role of toward uh, trying to improve the health of Kentuckians? You, you know, you, you were a young man in a hurry, so to speak, a state auditor, attorney general, uh, Congress, and, uh, you know, ultimately a close election that you lost in 2012, and, uh, and you moved on from politics, it seems. Well, now, now I'm an old man and not in quite as much a hurry, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and it happens very quickly. I think everybody uh, who's lived a little while knows how quickly time passes. But uh, I'm tickled as I can be. I really am. I'm very fortunate, Bill. I have the opportunity to still contribute to the welfare of the, of the people of the state that I love very, very much. I'm a native of this state. I, I just adore it, and I want to help people. And I don't have to worry now about whether anybody votes for me or not. <laughs> I can tell you that in the present environment, that is a relief. That's rough, isn't it? Oh, I feel, I really feel sorry for people who are in public office right now because they can't win. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to, uh, you, you have a, a society that's fractured right now. and. Whichever way you jump as a public official, it's going to upset a certain number of people, and they seem to be uh, less hesitant about uh, voicing their uh, their concerns in, in often not such a civil way. Well, well said, Ben Chandler. Thanks for coming from yeah. the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky. We appreciate it. Good to be with you, Bill. Stay with us now. We'll be back in just a moment, and we will hear about this nursing crisis from the Kentucky Nursing Association on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. These are difficult times in the nursing profession. Frontline healthcare workers were widely celebrated early on in the pandemic as they provided the only human contact with seriously ill patients in some cases. But those heroic acts led to burnout and many left or retired from their jobs. Now there is a tough nursing shortage and luring young people into the field is proving to be a major challenge. Joining us right now from the Kentucky Nurses Association is the CEO, Delanor Manson. Delanor, thank you very much for uh, talking with us about this issue. 
Well, thank you for inviting us. Um, we are delighted that you are still interested in the nursing issues. Well, we know there is a nationwide nursing shortage and it is impacting Kentucky dramatically and directly. In fact, the state is estimating we need to add 16,000 nurses to fix the problem. Is that really achievable with uh, what you're seeing today? Well, first I'd like to say that that 16,000 number is from a report that was written in 2012. That was pre-pandemic and so in that report it said between 2012 and 2024 we would need 16,000 nurses. Well I would say that um, pandemic which we are still in a pandemic we are going to need a lot more than 16,000 nurses. Is it achievable? Well it will take a lot of work and um, I'm very hopeful that we can get close to having more nurses um, to graduate from nursing school that we are able to recruit nurses from surrounding um, states um, and that we can make a dent in the need that is much greater than 16,000 at this time. But it really is a competition. I mean, you said we hope to be able to pick from other states, but Kentucky is competing with other states uh, who are trying to lure nursing talent as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And so we have to make sure that when we're talking about um, recruiting nurses that we are making Kentucky as a, attractive as it can possibly be, that we are making the organizations that are recruiting nurses to be as attractive as they can be. Yes, it is a competition because the nursing shortage, which started way before the pandemic and will uh, definitely continue after the pandemic is over, um, is not just a Kentucky problem. It is a United States, it's a world problem to tell you the truth. It's a global problem. Is it accurate to say that, that burnout is, is a major part of, of what has led to this nursing shortage, especially since uh, uh, the pandemic? Oh, it is definitely uh, fair to say. And uh, burnout um, in relation to working hours, working conditions, violence at, in uh, organizations, uh, it, is, it is definitely part of the problem. But the other problem is, is just that we have not been graduating enough nurses and we can't graduate nurses if we don't have adequate numbers of faculty. So there's been a, a great increase in um, enrollment in nursing schools. And in fact, um, 4,000, more than 4,000 nurses have um, applied for nursing schools, which is, um, I mean, when I say 4,000, I mean an increase of 4,000, not just 4,000, but an increase of 4,000 nurses in the last year over the year before. So that's really good. We need to make sure, though, there are a couple of things we need to really focus on, and that is making sure that we have adequate faculty, qualified faculty, as well as clinical sites. And we have to think about expanding our thought process of what can be a clinical site for nursing students. But then, Delanor, you have to lure young people into those jobs, and it's the same issue that uh, the teaching profession is uh, having right now, just getting young folks interested in the profession. Several colleges I know are uh, implementing uh, new programs, Sullivan, BCTC, Kentucky State, some programs like BCTC say that you really need to start uh, courses as early as high school. They're working with UK to also try to recruit nurses. Are you seeing an enrollment uh, increase in these nursing programs or uh, is there some need to get down there with the, the 14, 15, 16 year olds and, and get them on a, on a path toward nursing? 
Oh, I, I agree with uh, starting younger. Uh, it is my thought that perhaps we should start in elementary school. Um, perhaps we should start as early as kindergarten, talking about the nursing profession and the opportunities to serve, as well as what it really takes and the expansive opportunities that nurses have in multiple areas for uh, professional development, professional growth, as well as it's not just working in a hospital, but in all areas where nurses are. So yes, we need to start sooner. Um, and we need to increase the what I call the brand image of nursing to say that being a nurse is a special calling and that it takes exceptionally bright people to be nurses. And so we need to do campaigns in uh, marketing to actually explain to people what nurses do and the successes that we have in helping and supporting health and health care. Uh, what would you say to uh, uh, you, you know to a young person who's uh, has a, a lot of options right now, who might be considering nursing, but who might uh, see the downside as well, and uh, be really in a, in a tough spot about deciding whether or not they'll pursue that career? Well, first I'd ask some questions. I'd ask, well, you know, um, in the best case scenario, what would you like to be when you grow up? And this actually happened. I was. Um, for doing a presentation at a camp in Owensboro. And the nurse, the, the student said she wanted to be an astronaut. And I said, oh my gosh, that's perfect in terms of science and um, for you to become a nurse and then go on to be an astronaut. And she said, I could be an astronaut nurse? I said, you could be an astronaut nurse. So I think you start with the conversation of what would they like to be? and then talk about how they can get there through and with nursing because nurses are in so many professions. For instance, you know, I'm a CEO and I've been a CEO for hospital um, and I've had a very non-traditional nursing career. I served in the military for 27 years. Um, and so the idea that there's only one way to get to nursing and only a few jobs that you can have as a nurse. I mean, there are nurse authors, there are nurse pilots. I mean, there are so many things that using the skill set that you develop in um, that you develop in nursing that you can do with that education. There's so many careers. Let me ask you this, and because we've talked about the upside, but there is also this uh, disturbing statistic that uh, we've learned that uh, nurses are taking their own lives. The CDC says nurses dying by suicide at a higher rate. Uh, Kentucky stats show at least 58 nurses have died in that way. The shortage, the burnout tied to those numbers. What needs to be done besides fixing the shortage uh, to combat statistics like that? Well, I, I have to say that when you talk about that 58 that have died by suicide since uh, 2016, that 58 may not seem like a lot because we have 89,000 nurses in the state of Kentucky. However, statistics show that for every nurse that dies by suicide, that they impact 135 people. And those are colleagues, um, those are students, they're family members. And so if you multiply that 58 by 135, uh, that's over 7,800 people who have been impacted by those nurses who have died by suicide. So what can we do? What do we need to do to support nurses so that um, death by suicide is not 
the option that they select. Now, the first thing is the Kentucky Nurses Association in collaboration with the Kentucky Board of Nursing have uh, developed a class called Pre the Prevention of Nurse Suicide Program. Mm -hmm. And it is a mandatory requirement that every nurse in the state take this class by Ju July 1st, 2023. So that's going to help tremendously because in that class it speaks to um, signs, symptoms, support, not only for the nurse who is in trouble, but also for the nurse who is observing that. So I think also focusing on mental health as being just as important as physical health and giving people permission to share when they are um, not having the mental health that will support them to go on living to have the opportunity to talk about it and someone who will offer to help and support them um, to get some, some mental health Delano, to, to wrap up our conversation, so we have things that are moving here. Uh, the governor signed a new law to address the shortage. Uh, some organizations say that does not go far enough. We do have these fast track programs. You, as you said, mental health is being addressed. Uh, but do we have enough support to, to help the helpers? We do, we do not. Um, the SB 10, um, which was signed by the governor, does not provide um, financial support for organizations that want to recruit and hire um, more nurses. Also, we need to have um, the wisdom of nurses who have retired. We need to get them to come back and participate in a program that we call the Nurse Emeritus Program. Uh, we need those nurses and we need that wisdom. We, we also need to pay our faculty um, adequately so that we require that faculty get advanced degrees, but yet we do not pay our nurse faculty in the same, at the same level that other faculty in other colleges get paid. So we need to fix that. Also, loans. We need to have loan forgiveness for nursing students as well as for faculty. So the, one of the major pieces that is not included in SB 10 is a financial component. I understand. Well, thank you very much. It certainly is a challenge with a, a, a complex set of answers. Uh, we thank you for being with us today. Delanor Manson from the Kentucky Nurses Association. Thank you very much for having me. And stay with us. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. We do want to thank you for joining us for Kentucky Newsmakers. A quick reminder that you can always go to WKYT.com and we have our interviews online and uh, you might uh, want to view those on your own schedule or share them with others. Thanks again for joining us and you make it a good week ahead.